Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 293. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki season two, episode one, Ouroboros, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, written by Eric Martin. Loki was created for television by Michael Waldron, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before we begin our season two spoiler reviews for Loki, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is the podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or on Apple Podcasts. And now it's easier than ever to find Fan Show Plus on Apple Podcasts. You don't have to search for a separate Fan Show Plus series. You don't have to search necessarily for the MCU Fan Show channel. You still can, and you can check out Fan Show Plus for those old episodes. But going forward, well, now and going forward, episodes of Fan Show Plus will be available directly in our Apple Podcast feed. You do still need a Fan Show Plus subscription in order to access those episodes, but at least now they're easier to find. Uh, and so make sure you check that out there, which now includes first impressions, a little experiment I ran this week and people liked it, so I'll probably keep doing it. So right after I saw Loki season two, episode one for the first time, I jumped on real quick to just ramble on for my initial thoughts on the episode as a little preview of what's to come, of course, on this full spoiler review. So make sure you check that out on Apple Podcasts. Just look for MCU Fan Show where you normally find it. You can see those episodes and just subscribe to Fan Show Plus there over or over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Also, make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you over on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing all right. I am fighting off a cold, but uh, otherwise, I am uh, I'm doing all right. It's a beautiful day here in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm ready to talk about some Loki. I'm very excited and ready to talk about Loki. I feel fired up, maybe because it's uh, it's the beginning of a new season, and we're still close-ish to the beginning of the NFL season. It really kind of feels like a kickoff in its own way to have a, a Marvel Disney Plus show back. I mean, I know we already had one earlier this year with Secret Invasion, but maybe because that yeah. didn't end quite so hot. Uh, really wanted to just get something yeah. get something going that we were really excited about. And as we talked about Not last week, pub. yeah, <laughs> as we talked about yeah. last week when we revisited Loki season one, I think that went, uh, I mean, not that we were already both very excited for season two, but it certainly helped to just be part of the process of getting amped up for the return of this series. And Paul, you and I have not discussed our thought. You already know that I love the episode because I told you I loved it, but I don't know what you think. This feels very much like a Marvel movie where I don't know what you thought before mm. we go into the spoiler review. But yes, yes. as uh, as Fan Show Plus listeners on Apple Podcasts and Patreon.com slash Sean Gerber heard with my first impressions, I was a big, big fan of this episode. I think it works very well on a number of levels. I think it works as serialized entertainment. But I also think, Paul, and be interested to hear your thoughts on this as well, mm. I think this actually answered the call of delivering entertaining episodic entertainment in addition to the ongoing serialized narrative. I really felt like this episode had its own story, its own clear mission that had its own beginning, middle, and end all of which was completed while still furthering 
the overarching narrative for the season. So this is the kind of thing. I think the first season of Loki did well in a couple of episodes. I think Lamentus come to mind, the, the third episode, as well as the fifth episode, Journey into Mystery. But I love that this is the way this new season is starting, is kind of answering that call. I don't know if that was the intention, but this really came across as a strong episode, strong individual episode, in addition to being a chapter of the six-episode season. Well, um, first of all, I want to say that it was, I, I didn't watch Loki right off the bat. Um, I had a busy Thursday, and so and I almost for and I'll be honest, I thought it was next week. I, I t- my my days and dates are all mixed up, and I thought, you know, a couple of days before. I think I think it was Wednesday. Everyone's like, "Oh, Loki's tomorrow." I went, "Oh, crap!" I totally thought it was the next. I, my again, I'm all over the place, and so I didn't have a chance uh, to watch until yesterday, which is Friday, the day after, and I was very nervous about being online and and seeing spoilers. So I try to avoid things. And I, a couple of people are sending me some tweets or yeah. some, some texts here and there. It'd be tough to uh, spoil this episode because it doesn't reveal a whole lot, at least not for the well, overall yeah. season. Yeah. I, yeah. And that's, you know, that's what I was going to get into. So, and then we were talking about, you know, scheduling this whole thing and, and you're like, you know, you, <laughs> I love you. You told me, you said, we're going to need two hours. I went, Oh God, <laughs> if you're telling me that off the bat, I was like, Oh man, I don't know. Well, and let's, let's be clear. This is, does not constitute a promise that this episode is going to last <laughs> two hours. I want to be very clear about that. Uh-oh, I just man. wanted to err on the side of caution for blocking out <laughs> enough time because of how these things tend to go, especially like just thinking back to the length of our, Spoiler reviews for the first season of Loki. Maybe we'll get yeah. this in under two hours. I, I really don't know, but but better safe than sorry. No, no, and I, I appreciate that, right? Because because you know our Saturday was kind of jam packed, so I, I had to make sure I got enough time and everything. So I was thinking when you said that, and I had a couple people. Get, oh, I saw some a little bit. No, no spoilers, thank God. But people were kind of saying some positive things, and after Secret Invasion, again. For the record, I like the first half of Secret Invasion quite a bit, and then the last half was anyway. Um, that being said, I just kind of you know I wasn't I haven't been feeling great. Like I said, at the top of the show, I was kind of you know my my wife and my kid went off, and I just stayed home, and I said, all right, I'm just gonna lay down and watch Loki. So it's the first time I actually kind of lay I have laid down and watched a, a Marvel thing in a long time. Like if anything, really rewatch new time first time whatever. And uh, I kind of lay down and relax, and I just kind of not feeling great. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna watch Loki. And my energy level wasn't great because of not the Loki, but anticipation. But just I'm feeling great. And you know, I gotta tell you, Sean, uh, you're right. Like, this, not a lot happens necessarily, but at the same time, I thought this was a very, very entertaining episode. And as you, you put up beautifully because it's not we talked about the strength of loki and the strength of i think that and wandavision and and maybe winter soldier but lesser winter soldier i'd say um but compared to the other shows it's way more episodic but it's also like it continues and picks up from the exactly the last spot pretty much we left off at so mm-hmm. it's 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 kind of doing that thing we talked about was the strength of the show last time where it picks up exactly where the last one leaves off there's no like what happened what happened in the last yeah months, no i mean you know? it hits the ground running literally from yeah. where we left off at the end of the first season and that helps and that and that honestly kind of 
keeps the rhythm and and I think of the pacing of the last season that made and the strength of the last season so well that it, you kind of don't have to worry about like you know what you know what's going to happen and try to pick up loose ends from the you know the previous episode to episode. It's just a it's it feels that whole the whole longer movie idea we talked about and I, we and maybe we thought that maybe the MCU kind of flourishes better and maybe potentially in this kind of setting idea. And I, I gotta tell you, like I was not, I didn't know what to expect necessarily. I, after watching the last season, rewatching it and really enjoying it and, and knowing that the, the, the same creative team is not the same. Um, I noticed a few differences, I think to, not tonally, but like aesthetically, like some of the, it looks a little, a little aesthetically different from the color palette standpoint. It does. And it, and it should, it has, a, we do have a different director of photography from, season one to season two. Autumn Gerald Arkapa was the director of photography for season one, also went on to do Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Now we have Isaac Bauman uh, stepping in as the director of photography. And that's and not just, of course, cinematography, but direction, right? We had Kate Heron right. for season one. Now we have Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead for season two. So between the, the director change, the shift in DP, as far as writers, Eric Martin is consistent, even though Eric was not the head writer for the first season, he was mm -hmm. he ended up being the main writer on set because Michael Waldron gets the created for television credit on Loki and was the head writer of the first season. But remember that Michael Waldron left right. to go Doctor do Strange. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. So he was not on set for the first season of Loki. So Eric mm. Martin has been in the job and that's where you have, and I think for some other members of the writing staff, there is definitely some creative continuity there as well as of course the Marvel producer team, Kevin Feige, Eric Wright. There's a lot of people in place here from season one to season two, but there are some important changes in obviously some key spots like director. And so I think, I like it though. I, I think that they've struck yeah. the balance of everybody involved so far based on one episode has done a really good job of making this their own without betraying the the language and the look of the first season. And I think that's always a, a tough line to draw, but I, I think they've struck a, a really nice balance here in the first episode, and I love the way it looks. No, and, and, and that's what I was going to say, too, that I think that <clears throat> I, I noticed it right away, because even the lighting, because I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I think it's... <clears throat> I, I may like it a little bit less, but it's not like I think it's bad. I just prefer I may, at this point again, really one episode in. I like the aesthetic a little bit from the natural, the lighting and, and the, the palettes that they chose in the first season a little bit more. At this point, it's a little brighter in this one, but again, I, I still liked it. I, I thought it was interesting. I thought it, it's a, it was a, I, I wouldn't say jarring. It's not the right word, but it's a, it was a little bit of a oh, this is a different like idea. But I think to your what you're saying here, and I didn't again, I, I don't know the, the stuff as well as you do as a writers and things like that. So I really appreciate that because I will say actually what helped me kind of kind of get over the kind of little bit of a tone um, aesthetically. I guess the tone was still there. But the point is the writing was so consistent from the first season that I didn't it, it was easy to get reimmersed into it because the characters and the acting and the narrative was all there the, tone, the, the the consistent character tone and story tone everything that's all the same and that felt very natural right into the series so all those aesthetic choices that were different that are going to be different is just how it's going to be right that's not you know necessarily always a bad thing it can be in some cases but this it wasn't 
I do appreciate the fact that because the writer and, and makes it makes sense that, I, that that writer was on set and was able to understand like what works for this series. That's that's already like apparent in this first episode, I think in tone and pacing. Um, I was really impressed because, you know, with the second season, it's hard to live up to that first season. And, and after rewatching Loki, which I'm so glad we did that job. Oh my God. I'm so thankful we did that. And rewatching the season, I'm like, and I'm going to this, I'm like, man, like this, it feels so perfectly natural to go right into this set, this, set, this episode and picking up right where it leaves off. It never skips a beat. So even though it's a little tiny, bit kind of, oh, this is a little bit different aesthetically. It doesn't, I, I get absorbed into it right away and I don't even think about it. And now I kind of like the idea that's a little bit different, but we'll get, we'll get into the specifics why I think it's a good thing. But, but uh, yeah, I, I, you know, spoiler, I guess spoiler for me right off the bat, I really enjoyed this. You know, I only have been able to watch it once, but I really liked it a lot. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know what the, it definitely does feel a little bit lighter, but I would still say somewhat dim. It, it still feels like a fairly dark show, except for when you get in some certain, and certain environments are a little bit brighter, like, of course, around the temporal loom or repairs and advancement. But yeah, in general, I would say that, yeah, they there's a little more it, it is uh, a, a little bit lighter. But I also kind of wonder if visually usually these things are have some intention assigned to them. And I do kind of feel like, well, we should see more of the TVA now because we're we are learning more about it and we are kind of pulling the curtain back from the TVA because even the TVA doesn't fully understand the TVA, since most of them have apparently had their memories wiped multiple times. So um, as, as far as the visual representation of that, I think is very strong. And then, of course, just beauty being in the eye of the beholder. I just really like the way that it looks. But you mentioned the specifics. Let's get into them. Picking up, as we talked about, right where we left off, Loki on the run from right when or when slash where we left off, Loki on the run from Mobius and Hunter B-15, who no longer recognize him. But that's because we haven't met them yet. And I think, and neither has Casey. So Eugene Cordero, of course, is back. And then obviously Owen Wilson as Mobius, Wumi Mosaku as Hunter B-15. And this does answer uh, a quite a little bit of a question for us as far as what exactly happened at the end of the first season, because we didn't really know. Did he get knocked into a completely uh, a completely different timeline? Is everything radically different because of the multiversal break and all of that stuff with the sacred timeline uh, branching off into all these different directions because of Sylvie's choice at the end to kill He Who Remains? Is that what's going on? All of those problems still exist, but that's not necessarily what happened to Loki when he got shoved through the time door. He went just deeper into the past, so still kind of the same central timeline-ish for the TVA, except now Loki is a part of it. So that's why Mobius and Hunter B-15 don't recognize him. They simply haven't met him yet, but they are still supposed to in this timeline. And Loki figures this out because of, of course, the scar on the statue, but more importantly, the scar on the floor as he is escaping via mail cart uh, from Mobius and Hunter B-15. So he's not really in a completely new timeline. It could become a new timeline, but really he's in the past of the TVA and it's not exactly how He Who Remains uh, remade it, but it's be that's because it's before he remade it. And so that just seeing the way, like the giant He Who Remains or Kang statue at the end of the first season, 
that that's not a do-over. That's how it was before there ended up being uh, eventually a do-over. And I think it's really exciting and it's really fun with how they did this. But I also really love that we don't have to spend an entire episode because of the way this is structured with the time slipping to the past, to the present, and eventually the future, and a lot of, a lot of back and forth between the past and present. The one thing I was worried about for the start of Loki Season 2 is we were going to spend an entire season premiere episode with Loki having to fill in and catch up Mobius and Hunter B-15 to the point where we are as an audience, having to fill them in on everything we already know. That's not what's happening here, and it can't be what's happening here because we don't know what's going on, and neither does Loki, neither does Mobius or Hunter B-15, and even in the present, it's all something that everybody has to figure out on the fly. And I also think that by... Being able to have the time slipping into the present so that way Loki is catching up with a Mobius and a Hunter B-15 who know what's going on, minus what happened, of course, in the season finale at the end of time because they weren't there. So all of that, I think, is great. And speaking of the present, let's go ahead and do our own time slip over there. Mobius and Hunter B-15 are looking at all those uh, new branch timelines, and they haven't, they still haven't seen Loki, even though Casey says he was just there. And it's a real problem with all of these many timelines creating... Branches off the sacred timeline, branches of the branches. It's all a very real problem, but they know now that pruning isn't the answer, and it's complicated. And I love what Mobius says when he's talking about how complicated it is with Hunter B-15, about just, just telling everybody the truth isn't necessarily going to resolve the issue. As he says, everything you've been, just imagine telling them, everything you've been doing is wrong, and all your gods are dead. That, I thought, was really, really great. And then, of course, we meet... A new character, Hunter X5, played by Rafael Casal, uh, who asked Mobius about jet skis, which, as Mobius points out, are a brand like Kleenex. Um, but really, X5, I love that. yeah, that was fantastic. I also love the, is this what's calling to you? More like gently whispering. Owen Wilson is just so good. He's an absolute treasure in general, but certainly as Mobius in this yes. show. And so I, I love that what X5 is really there to do is bring B15 and Mobius in for a chat. He's there to summon them on behalf of a new judges council that includes Judge Gamble and General Docs, uh, a couple new characters that we're going to meet in uh, in just a moment. But just as this kind of jumping off point, setting the stage for Loki on the run, here's Mobius and Hunter B-15 in the immediate aftermath of the death of He Who Remains at the end of time. All of this stuff, I think, was working really well. Uh, a great moment of just Mobius being Mobius. But I also think, and fun little bit when they're walking down the hallway and Loki's time slipping behind them. But the most important thing, I, I think, for me, where, or at least what resonated the most with me, was just that, just the debate and, and just how complicated the entire situation is. That even though everybody knows what they can't do as part of the TVA, that Mobius and Hunter B15, everybody can agree that pruning is over or should be over and all of that. Not everybody agrees, just those two, those parties agree. I just love that we're going to have this because this was, a, I, I think, was a, a great spot at the end of the first season where just because certain things were revealed to be lies, just because certain things weren't what everybody had always believed, doesn't mean everybody is equally ready at the same time with equal measure to throw out all of their <laughs> belief system. And so having that emotional complexity and just how different the perspectives are and giving the characters the opportunity to explore those perspectives in front of us as an audience so we can hear what they have to say. All of that stuff just enriches the show in my mind. Yeah, I 
I loved this intro because and Sean, I got to think, <clears throat> excuse me. Sorry, guys, I'm fighting a cold. You got to think, was this a ret- not a retcon, but they kind of redirected how they were going to do it because it very the way it ended in season one, it gives the impression heavily that this, this is a new branch timeline. And, and now I, I got to tell you, maybe I, I, I think that's pretty cool insight and planning if that's the case. Um, cause it doesn't feel that way. Again, I could be wrong because when I, you know, that's a good, my, everyone's assumption. At least I assume that. And then I really thought it was a really clever idea to make it, have it be out of time. And I, and I, now I avoid trailers. And I know there was a couple like hints of that. They're going, there's a little more of a time thing than a, a branch thing, a uh, different universe thing. Yeah. It's been a minute since I watched trailers. I think there was like whatever the second trailer was earlier in the summer I watched and then I was done. So yeah, for, for people who are fully caught up on trailers, there may be some things where you and I are are a little mm-hmm. bit behind. <laughs> but um, I, like I said, but I don't have my full marketing trust in Marvel yet. It's getting better, but I, I'm still too worried about them revealing too much as we get too close to the start of a show. So yeah, there's some things that maybe they already gave some of this away. But regardless of whether or not they gave it away in a trailer, I think your point still holds in that this isn't necessarily what we expected right away yep. at the end of the first season. And so and, and I don't know, by the way, I don't know if that was the the solid thing. Like and just thinking about that, right? Like you said, yeah, it gives that impression that it's a branch timeline. Does it really or was that just our most logical assumption simply because of the conversation that was just had with he who remains? Like once we actually get to if you just isolate the clip of, of Loki being there in the TVA after being shoved through the time door by Sylvie. It doesn't say that it's a different timeline. We don't actually know where slash when he ended up. And so I, I think what what happened is our interpretations were being informed by, of course, the conversation that was just had. And you could say that's part of it, right? That's part of the impression that it gave. But I also think that they did a good job of keeping it wide open or open enough so that Agreed. way, regardless of how they decided to carry forward, like that's the the most important thing to me is the way they've chosen to kick this off isn't necessarily what I would have expected based on how I felt at the very end of the first season, but it is in no way, shape, or uh, form a betrayal of that. It still works. So see, the end of season one still holds as a setup for how yeah. they're kicking things off in season two. Well, and, and again, to, to kind of further the point, you know, Kane the Conqueror is not just a you know multi uh, multiverse villain. That's an aspect. He's a time traveler. Yeah. You know, and that's the whole point is like there's a council of kings but he's a time traveler he goes back in time like he's from the future so it's it does it, it, it so I, I i'm not sure if i'm just subconsciously accepting that because of that idea of king but regardless i i did like the fact that it explains a lot and yeah. i liked how well here's the other thing it reveals as kang the time traveler kang fails a lot word and yeah. so i think that's really what this shows is that the, the whole construct of the timekeepers and he who remains being hidden from everyone at the end of time, that was an improvement in his mind. That was the new and improved version of TV of the TVA aided by a memory wipe because obviously Kang or he who remains, whichever version and whatever name you want to assign to him, when he did this the first time around or even the 
34th time around, the 100th time around, whatever it was, that his ego was there initially, right? That he made it in his image, that he made it all in his name and in his identity, and then it went away because that didn't work. And he realized that hiding who he really was and, and the truth of the power behind the TVA, that that ultimately served his purposes better. But it also in, it is a clear indication, though, that he tried it one way or several different ways, and it didn't work. And now this latest version isn't necessarily working either, but it just shows that Kang, as, we saw in the, as we've seen how many times in the comic books, countless times, that he fails, but he keeps trying, and he has the advantage of time travel and multiversal travel to be able to keep trying again and again and, and being a step ahead of everyone. Yeah, so I, I think that was really uh, it was really cool how that kind of plays out because because the time travel aspect is going to obviously be played. We'll get we'll get into it later, but it plays more into this. And and I did like the idea of Loki being kicked into this whole like time thing, and that's being reoccurring because it gives us an idea of like because here's the thing it they're updating us on the rules of everything and they're establishing also new rules for time travel. Yeah. Cause that, and we'll get that as we as an episode goes, obviously, but this is just one aspect of why certain things aren't having, haven't happened or, or the, why don't they may not remember certain things or whatever? Cause of being mind wiped. I will give, I had to give the writer a lot of credit because they did a lot of heavy lifting in this episode in a very entertaining way, which mm -hmm. is, I mean, I mean, this is no brainer. This is obvious stuff, but I can't stress enough how hard it is, especially in these kind of sh these franchises where everyone's ready to like, yeah, have a red no brainer to like, know that's the right thing to do. Not a no brainer at all to actually do yeah. it effectively. It, effectively, because you have people like us and even people who are even harder on it, wanting it to fail and be like, no, actually, red circle, this is not make sense because of blah, blah, blah. It's like people are ready to like out, you know, for these franchises show uh, places to fail so they can put it on YouTube and, and talk about it and get money. Like, that's the whole point. Right. But like the fact that I think this first episode is so well, well written and tightly like paced and properly put into exposition different things it really is impressive how they they got a lot of complicated stuff into this in a very yeah. fun way yeah i think so and and i think that they had fun with the complexity of it and they also were very comfortable in the space and everybody's mileage may differ but as an in as an individual audience member but and i don't think i'm alone here though they kept me comfortable in the space of not necessarily knowing everything that's going on, giving me enough information to feel somewhat grounded while also totally having the understanding that everything I know is still potentially subject to change and there's a lot out there that I don't know. And that's a fun place to put it, especially with the TVA, that you have this massive organization in the middle of time or wherever they actually are in time and space. And they thought they knew everything and they don't and everything that's being revealed to them. And even as they try to figure out what's going on, there's still some of them and parts of some of them that are just grasping at what they knew before. And that's still their frame of reference for how they interpret things. But that's how things just continue to be um, reimagined within the TVA and redefined within the TVA and things that were thought to be impossible in the TVA, like time slipping, are apparently not. Uh, we'll get to that when we get to uh, repairs and advancement. But first, let's talk about the scene in the war room. It starts with Hunter D90, played by Neil Ellis, 
Uh, he's exiting the war room after he just had his interview and apologizes to Mobius because D90 is the one who pruned uh, Mobius in season one at the order of Ravona Renslayer. So gives his apology. Mobius forgives him and says that Mobius really has his beef with uh, Ravona Renslayer. So we'll just save that for later on because we hear Ravona's voice very, very briefly in this episode, but we don't actually see her. So as we advance into the war room, Mobius and Hunter B-15 are there in the present. Loki is there in the past, and he sees it adorned with the face of He Who Remains five times over, and he hears a recorded conversation between He Who Remains and Ravona Renslayer, with He Who Remains talking about leading with her and also calls her a Marvel. So anytime we hear the word Marvel in a Marvel thing, it's always just fun. But what that is a key thing that reveals there, of course, though, is that he Who Remains has been working with Ravona Renslayer since before the Mind Wipe, because this is all pre, or the latest Mind Wipe that has Mobius not remembering everything, the pre-Timekeeper's uh, Mind Wipe, Ravona Renslayer and He Who Remains were already working together. So then that just begs the question, did he wipe Ravona Renslayer's mind when he wiped everyone else's, or has she known more than everybody else this whole time? That's something that's a those are questions that we'll have to explore and, and have answered for us as we uh, as we move on in future episodes. But back to the present in the war room. And we see that uh, Mobius and Hunter B-15 are meeting with those new characters. General Docs, played by Kate Dickey, whom some of you might rec- might recognize from Game of Thrones, wants everything to be done by the book and also wants to keep on pruning because that's just what they have to do. Hunter B-15 is adamant in her arguments for and explanations of what of what they're really doing. They're not protecting anything. They are destroying when they are pruning. And then Judge Gamble, played by Liz Carr, seems like she's being very fair, calls it right down the middle, hearing both sides, and then comes to the conclusion that at this point she can do anything and she decides to do something different because she's only given one verdict in her entire career, guilty for all those variants that she judged and had pruned. But for the first time now, she can really do anything and make her own choice. Even that line delivery, and, and credit to Liz Carr for the performance, when she says, I can do anything, that was really, really great, I thought. I, I thought that was such a strong moment, because it's just a it's a truth for that moment, but it's a realization for her internally that I, I really, really liked, because it's, it's the realization that, yes, Judge Gamble can do anything, but also a realization that a realization that she hasn't all that that hasn't always been true. This is the first time she could say something like that and have it actually be her truth. And she and Judge Gamble rules that the pruning will stop immediately, at least for now. And then the TVA will have to figure out what they're going to do about that. That whole sequence I thought was outstanding. And then when Loki time slips in and prunes the time prunes the timekeeper mural to reveal the he who remains that we saw in the past all of that i thought was a a great reveal and a great way to bring loki into the present for mobius and hunter b15 to see and general docs i also i like this character as maybe a a second tier antagonist along with uh, hunter x5 general docs as i said kate dickey i thought was really strong in this scene and also outlined that alternate perspective as Docs even says to uh, to X5 in terms of the different ways that people might respond to an entire belief system being shattered is she just says that the timekeepers weren't real, but their warnings were that we still need to be afraid of and we still need to be working to prevent 
all of these things. And you do have to wonder if General Docs is really sincere, if that is a genuine concern, or if she's just finding some way that this is what she'll use to justify whatever actions she takes to kind of take advantage of whatever power vacuum she interprets as being there. Or is she actively helping he who remains slash Victor Timely slash whichever version of Kang we're going to see throughout this? Again, these are questions that we'll have to that already kind of get introduced at the very end of the episode. So we'll we'll get to it then as well. But overall, I thought this scene was uh, was absolutely fantastic. I love the new players in this. I think it adds even more context to the TVA, even more complexity to the TVA. So as an episode that was, as I mentioned before, pulling the curtain back for the TVA, for us as an audience, but also for the TVA as the characters themselves, scenes like this were just really working well. Yeah. Um, the only couple of things I'm going to add, because I echo everything you, you're going to say, essentially, but a couple of things I want to say is it really is setting up the TVA for an ongoing establishment oh, yeah. like S.H.I.E.L.D. And I like that. Like, yeah, I, I, think- I, I thought of what you said last week during this scene of um, when you, <laughs> we were talking about Loki Revisit and you talked about the TVA going. And this, I think, is the beginning of planting the seeds of that, of the TVA yeah. being able to exist even without He Who Remains. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what's kind of cool is in the comic books, the one thing about doing ongoing, like with the whole idea of ongoing storytelling and never ending, and you, and you keep building upon building of these universes, uh, for, for lack of a proper term, um, you know, and everything, is that these things are still established that you can always revisit and bring back at your convenience on the, under the right story. And I think that's what's really cool is they're setting up here is that like now, and if the MCU, which I hope goes on as long as I live, to be quite honest, I don't want reboots. I want to just keep, keep, you know, that's the beauty of these yeah, things. Keep it rolling. Yeah. You keep it rolling. Just evolve the characters, you know, evolve new versions. I don't care what, um, anyway, but my point is, is that we can establish these cool things like TVA and have them reoccur even when they're not the multiverse saga. Let's say it's the Dr. Doom saga next, right? Maybe there'll be a fun movie or show that'll have TVA in it, but it won't be, it's not going to be all about multiverse stuff, but maybe the multiverse will play a part in it in some way. I don't know. But you get what I'm saying here. Like it's there as an option to have and have fun ways well, to tell the TVA, story. I think is still, it looks like, especially with what Obi says later in the episode, I know we haven't met Obi yet as we're in our spoiler review here, but mentions retrofitting the temporal loom to accommodate the new timeline. So that already shows you the TVA potentially has the ability to exist even as the multiverse exists, that it doesn't go away just because the sacred timeline is gone and it may find its own way to operate again without he who remains endorsement or support or overwatch or what or rule, however you want to put it. So I, I think that, yeah, I, I think you're I think you're right uh, with what you were talking about last week. And, and I think that we're starting to see the mechanics of exactly how that can happen. And it is a very exciting development because I think the TVA is cool as hell. And, and I'm not necessarily at the point where I mean, look, I'm not saying every character and every organization even S.H.I.E.L.D. fell in phase two of the MCU. So I'm not saying the TVA has to be around forever, but I certainly love the idea of the TV sticking around well beyond, uh, you know, well beyond the second season of this one show. Yeah. And so, and, and just kind of, oh, we can move on after this. I, I do like the fact that um, Ravona 
what exactly is going on. Like you're, you're starting to kind of get into the idea. I love this recorded conversation between the two of them. Yeah. Between Kang and Ravona. Cause I said last time on the last episode, I keep, we keep talking about the last episode, which was a lot of fun, by the way. It's Go this very show. quiet, kind of intimate conversation, too. Yeah. And the way that yes, just the, yes. the tone of it, the way it sounds. And yeah, it it really implies some connection between the two of them. And but that's where it just begs the question was it sincere on the part of He Who Remains? Was it sincere on the part of Ravona Renslayer? Was one of them just manipulating the other towards some end? More likely, just he who remains manipulating Ravona Renslayer since he's the primary antagonist in all this, although maybe not. Maybe it's more than that. I, I, I think Rav- this yeah, really I, added to the intrigue. Yeah, I just can we can move on after this. I'm I think Ravona is more is more aware and is using Kang more than he realizes, or he who remains, whoever which version it is, mm. the Kang of Richards. I think she's using because I, I only because. I'm gonna go back to the comics as as you know, not saying they, they have to follow everything to, to a T, but you know, Kang is always seeking out Ravona. Like as mm-hmm. like that is that is his again, Mr. Freeze Nora, right? But he can't like for whatever reason, whatever whatever he tries to do, he can't obtain her. Like the one he originally fell in love with. That's a key word there. The original Ravona. And we already know there's Ravonas in different eras and or different things like that. So Keep that in mind. So I, I think Ravona knows and is it figures out has figured out more at this point than we realize, in my opinion. But we'll see. Yeah, and I think we will probably catch up with her a fair amount next week. Would be my best guess. Is I, I think episode two will probably get us um, much more Ravona than just the the recording that we got here and the the second season premiere. But Loki and Mobius are now reunited in the present, and Loki fills in Mobius on what happened what we all saw. So it's not an entire episode. It's a very quick conversation of here's what happened at the Citadel at the end of time. And here's he who remains. And here's the multiversal war that we're afraid of. I love the line paraphrasing a bit here, perhaps, but uh, saw the devil at the end of time. And he made sense. And I, I think for Loki, it just feeds into again, the, the warring perspectives that these characters are going to have. Cause as we saw philosophically, Loki and Sylvie did not end up in the same place. And even though there's been, uh, of course, now this uh, agreement, at least for now, within the TVA, that they're going to stop pruning, the problem of an infinite amount of Kangs, or he who remains is, because Loki doesn't even necessarily know the name Kang at this point, that's still a very real problem that obviously Loki is worried about. But before they worry about he who remains, Mobius is the one pointing out that he needs a Loki who remains because this time slipping thing is a real problem that has to be resolved. And needing a Loki who remains is a very good line that I thought was a lot of fun. Also, great line from Owen Wilson as Mobius about have I have no memory of having my memory wiped was fantastic. Absolutely loved it. And of course, Mobius, his reactions to the time slipping were great. He's just so completely grossed out by it while also trying to act like, Act for Loki, put on the show for Loki that it's not as bad as it looks or not as bad as it may seem, that everything's okay. But what I really like about this, this brings it into the focus of what I mentioned at the top of the show. Curing the time slipping, if they've even cured it by the end of this episode, which we don't know for sure if they've done, but at least the goal of doing that gives us an important here and now individual mission for this episode while keeping the season-long narrative in mind. So, yes, He Who Remains is a problem. All the different versions of He Who Remains that are now possible, 
That is all a very, very real problem. There's very, the very real problem of the TVA and its temporal loom and everything else that's going to be explained to us over the remainder of this episode of being able to accommodate the all these other branch timelines that weren't supposed to be there, that weren't supposed to exist, that they've been trying to prevent this multiversal war in the first place, and the internal mechanics of the TVA and all the problems that all of these things, all of these things present. It's all still here. It all has to be dealt with. But in order to be around to deal with those problems, here's what we have to fix now. And that, of course, is the time slipping issue for Loki. And so when I talk about this episode having its own beginning, middle and end, just getting Loki and Mobius reunited is the beginning of it. And then the middle is solving it. And then the end is it appears that maybe they've been able to solve it or the mission at least looks like a success. So that's what I love how episodic this was. I think you would benefit greatly if you've seen the first episode of Loki, but if I, I think, or the first season of Loki, rather. But I also feel like going back to being old and just jumping onto a show because it was syndicated on cable or something like that, and it's a show you haven't been watching, but you just jump in on an episode, this is an episode that would have hooked me, that would have made me want to go back and watch previous episodes and would have had me become a regular viewer of the show and I can't really know for sure that that would have been my response, because obviously I was in on Loki before we even saw a single episode of it. But it just had that feel of a really cool jumping on point, which a, a season premiere should be. And I thought it really worked on that level. And again, it, it delivered its own satisfying individual story within the context of the, the overarching narrative. And to, to solve the time slipping issue, as Mobius points out, they got to go down to repairs and advancement, RNA, where we meet the man, or uh, we meet the, the person that this character, that this entire episode is named after, titled after, Ouroboros Obi, played by Academy Award winner Kihue Kwan. And of course, Mobius then pretends to remember meeting Obi, because Obi clearly remembers Mobius after a very, very brief encounter from 400 years ago. So time works differently in the TVA, but they do still calculate some degree of time. Uh, how long are 400 years in the TVA? I'm guessing they're still close to or about the same as Earth years. But Mobius has, of course, had his memory wiped, so he does not remember this encounter like OB does. But he, of course, pretends to. But that is a, a key revelation, I think, in itself, right? Is that Mobius, Hunter B-15... General Docs, perhaps, Judge Gamble, a lot of these other characters, Casey, there are a lot of characters who have had their memories wiped probably multiple times over the course of their time in the TVA, but that hasn't happened to Obi, at least not in this, not in, not in, in the last 400 years, because Obi actually still remembers this meeting, and it does beg another question of why was Obi's memory not wiped? Is it too big of a risk? Does he who remains need Obi to remember everything so that in Obi's memory, is it too valuable for just keeping the TVA running? Or perhaps there was just no need to. If there was any risk to memory wiping Oversight. OB, there's no well, there's no reason because, well, Obi spends all his time down there. Obi exactly. doesn't go anywhere. Um, Obi, as he even says, he gets no sleep. He constantly works down there. The only time he gets out of RNA is every once every 200 years to go run diagnostics on the temporal loom. So he's not interacting with everybody else. So if there was ever a time where everything hit the fan and he who remains had to memory wipe everybody, OB was exempt from that. 
But all we, so we still don't know exactly why and, and everything like that. If there is any relationship between Obi and He Who Remains, I would suspect there probably isn't. Obi is just somebody who obviously everybody in the TVA, including probably He Who Remains, takes for granted. What we do know, Paul, I'm guessing you'll agree, is that maybe you won't. Obi, <laughs> and for the purposes of this show, is a scene-stealing delight. It is mm. a, an absolutely hilarious back and forth between Obi and Loki in the present, then in the past, and then also between Obi and Mobius in the present. The whole thing of the whole back and forth of Mobius trying to pretend he remembers the interaction and Loki having a lot of fun with that, which I think also just speaks to the friendship of Loki and Mobius of just how much fun Loki is having with that moment, I, I thought was really great. So the, the whole brain breaking back and forth about time slipping and how it's impossible in the TVA and in the past and the present, of course, Obi has a problem, has trouble reconciling that, the reconciling what he just saw happen and then suddenly remembering things that he saw one other time because Loki time slipped to the past and they were having that conversation. All of that worked great. So it was frustrating for Loki and Mobius, but I think that frustration sells the urgency of the situation while also keeping it very uh, light and fun and hilarious for us and also delivering a ton of exposition of here's the problem and here's how we solve it and all of that stuff that could have just been very, very boring sci-fi exposition talk. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. It was, in my mind anyway, in my view, it was incredibly entertaining, thanks in large part to Kihue Kwan as Obi, who I thought was just awesome and just walked away as a, as a real MVP in this one. Yeah, I... <clears throat> You know, I I didn't know he was gonna be in the show really. You know, I avoid I avoid all this stuff, and um, and I, I have not seen everything everywhere all at once. I I meant to, uh, but I I love the resurgence of his acting career, and I think it's been really rad to see. And kind of just shows you know if you keep doing what you love, you know just, you never know what's gonna happen. And obviously he still works in the industry before that. I didn't I I, I didn't realize he was even a stunt choreographer of uh of X Men. You know, yeah, so he's been I, working. Yeah, he's he's doing his thing, and I, it's really cool because you can't you can't you can't count out talent that people just naturally have, and he obviously has a natural talent of acting for whatever reason just didn't you know fell out of it you know a while ago, and now he's now that he's back, he's gotten some great work because you know I haven't seen the the, the, the movie that you know that I just mentioned. Well, but, and, and he's earned it, and everything everywhere all at once played a role in, in him getting this spot in Loki. Yeah. And, and I think well, and I, I think it just speaks to among the many things that tends to happen, and many things not at all fair within the industry is people just kind of get pigeonholed into a specific thing. Yeah. And so he was a child actor and yep. he was yep. funny and charismatic as a child actor, but that's all you get to do. And thank you for doing that. And then if you want to have other roles behind the scenes, great, but then it can happen where some, I mean, some uh, who act when they're young do go on to have careers as an adult um, and don't necessarily have that huge downtime, but that's more the exception than the rule. Yeah. And, and I think that you know, for whatever reason, Ki Hui Kwan was just set to the side. But then I just love that when an opportunity finally came along, that he took full advantage of it, that he absolutely made the most of it and is continuing to make the most of it. And of course, should have seen him in so many other things over the past few decades. But having this uh, this renaissance uh, and this revival of his acting career, not just his overall Hollywood career, that's still been going, but this revival of his acting career, 
um, is fantastic. And, and we're the better for it that we get to see it when Absolutely. we get performances like this. Yeah, and I think that's the cool thing about it. Now, honestly, this makes me want to go watch the movie because uh, I wanted to see it for a while, but now I'm like, okay, I, I should really go see this now. Uh, definitely I, worth I love, a watch. Yeah, definitely. I've heard, I've heard it's good. Um, obviously, it won awards and stuff. So, uh, but that doesn't mean it's good. In that case, yeah. in this case, it's true. Okay, that's fair. I, I think I was really surprised of you know how how much I love this character because he's not, I mean, again, I, he may be an obscure character in the comics. I don't know. Um, but I don't think so. But what's really fun is that the chemistry and the natural acting ability is totally there. I mean, I love his movies, obviously as a kid, like I've, I've watched Goonies a million times, you know, all et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the thing is cool is, is seeing this guy play out and, and just have natural chemistry and it, it be very, there's a lot there. I mean, you have to carry, he's carrying a lot of the yeah. exposition. He's carrying a lot of the, you and know, he's doing it with impeccable comedic timing. Yes. And I think that is not, na that is a natural God given thing. Cause there's plenty of people who give that dialogue to, they're not going to know what the hell to do with it. And there's just a fluidity to his performance that I, I was very impressed by. Yeah. Sure, Can you explain up. time slipping, explain and invent a temporal oral temporal aura extractor and be funny at the same time? Yeah. And, and funny and charming. Yeah. And, and funny and charming are always they're They are always inclusive with each other. They are, can, they can be ex you know, exclusive too from uh, whatever. So I was very impressed of how just the chemistry of all three of them together was fantastic. And, and how much he carried that dialogue and how, and how much I love this character automatically. And I, and I'm really wanting him to be a, a main recurring character of the season who remains to be seen, uh, if it will happen. But uh, yeah, I, I was very impressed and how much they, you know, again, the writing and I go back to the writing too, which is not, I want to give credit to that because yeah, the, the fact that you're able to to put this in and trust an actor, whether it was him or not, to to give that to us is is a is a risk. And I think, but it's also the the way they wrote it and had it interact with Loki and Mobius. It was perfectly played out and really well structured and paced to have us learn that in a fun way. Again, a killer combination of great acting, you know, and also great writing. And the great, the right chemistry. Those are hard things to nail down all at once. And I, I thought they nailed it. And this again, I was, I was, I was one hundred percent in at this point. I was like, all right, this is great. I love this. This is fantastic. I'm glad we're back. Yep. This is a great new character. I'm in. Absolutely. I, I thought this was this entire sequence was just outstanding. It was funny. It was informative. It was entertaining. It was all of those things. And I, I do think it speaks to, I think it speaks to the characters, right? Mobius who is doing his best to always be polite. And that's the thing that happened with him in the first season is even as Loki was more of an antagonist at that point and Mobius is prisoner, Mobius did try to go out of his way as much as he could until Loki eventually pissed him off to the point that Mobius just could not be nice to Loki in certain moments. Mobius went out of his way to be nice and as courteous as he could be to Loki. And we see that here. Like that's it's not that Mobius is trying to be superficial and pretend like he the polite thing to do is you don't he doesn't want to say that he forgot OB, um, but he did. And it wasn't his fault because it was a memory wipe. But what it says about that, what it says about 
Loki in, in terms of, as I said, with the friendship that he has with uh, with Mobius and how that's revealed and just the banter that's kind of back and forth and, and Loki having a lot of fun with that moment, watching his friend kind of scramble to pretend he remembers this conversation or this interaction with Obi. And then Obi himself and so good in all of this stuff. And there's a lot of brain breaking stuff, the exposition of the mechanics of time slipping and how they're going to solve that as well as the time travel logic of these new memories that Obi is suddenly having and even talks about how sound that logic is and, and not that we're here to audit all of the time travel logic throughout Loki because it's just not fun. Um, but I think it all holds up and makes sense within the, the context of this specific show. And it is, as I said, just immensely entertaining. And as he explains exactly what has to happen to take us through the end of the episode, the temporal aura extractor that Obi then invents in the past and leaves lying around for the future is going to be used by Mobius at the temporal loom that we're about to see to pull Loki into the present only after Loki has proved himself uh, pruned himself at just the right moment. But there are risks. So Loki, of course, has the greatest risk of pruning himself. If he's not pulled through with the temporal aura extractor, then he's just going to be lost to time forever. He's going to be turned into spaghetti, like falling into a black hole. Meanwhile, Mobius risks losing his skin so it all sounds simple enough it's an effective summary of the risks and a great demonstration of Obi's immediate expertise for how to solve this issue that he didn't even really know could potentially be an issue within the tva he found a way to reconcile it for himself and us reconcile the impossible and come up with a solution the moral of the story there is that Obi is really really good at what he does which is why he's been able to carry repairs and advancement all by himself in the TVA. But then, of course, there is a blinking lamp, so Mobius tells Obi about the power surges that have been happening throughout the show, which Obi sees as a big problem as they go down the hall on their way to the temporal loom and catch up with Hunter B-15. And Obi is shaming everybody, not really, but just wondering why they don't know all of this stuff, because it's right there in the TVA guidebook that's on every desk, which he wrote. And he's uh, talking about this as they arrive at the temporal loom and i love the existence of the temporal loom i love that it's called the temporal loom but i especially love the warning that is outside the door of the temporal loom i saw all of that language in front of the door and so i had to pause it and it the warning reads as follows temporal radiation levels escalate exponentially beyond this threshold Likelihood of spaghettification increases 7,000%. Proceed with caution. Likelihood of spaghettification uh, increases 7,000%. That is absolutely fantastic. You know what else I liked about the temporal loom, Paul? I wonder if this gave you the same visual vibe that it gave me. The way the door opens looked and felt very... It was an X away from being Cerebro. Mm. It really was. With like the circular center of the door rotating and then the doors pull apart from the middle... It just felt very much like that. And I, I don't necessarily think that's the intention. It's not a hint yeah, at anything. It's not an Easter egg. It's just my own X-Men loving heart just falling into or you know, interpreting it that way. But it does just have a you know a nice reminder because we recently found out that Marvel is going to be taking meetings, uh, which we talked about on Fan Show Plus, by the way. We found out that they're taking meetings for X-Men. So it's just this signal of like, yeah, that kind of visual is is also on its way. Nowhere near the top of the best and most exciting visuals that Marvel Studios X-Men films will bring to us uh, as an audience. But I think it's going to be really great 
to uh, to see that. And it just kind of gave me a, a quick little visual cue of that, but not what this episode is about. Uh, so talking about the temporal loom, and Obi explains that it is the heart of the TVA. It is what refines raw time into the physical, circular, sacred timeline that we saw at the end of time in the season one finale. But all these new branches are overloading it. It looks like and is a disaster. Meanwhile, uh, Hunter B-15 is explaining because Obi points out the automatic tried and true TVA solution, which is to start pre- to start pruning those timelines. Hunter B-15 says that's no longer an option. So Obi says that the blast doors have to be closed to protect the TVA while he figures out how to retrofit the loom to accommodate all the new branches. So that is the moment that I think really hints to a future for the TVA in addition, that allows it to exist within these new rules of branch timelines, all the things that the TVA was in place to prevent. Here's a a quick line that just alludes to how the TVA can find a way to coexist with this new reality, with the complete shattering of everything that they knew, everything that they believed, everything that they understood. Here's an opportunity that maybe we can get to a place where the TVA can coexist with whatever the terms of whatever this new reality is going to be for them. But that's for the future. What matters now is that because this is an issue with the blast doors needing to be closed because of the temporal loom being overloaded, again, a lot of exposition here, and yet it's all being delivered in entertaining fashion and we're moving the story of this episode forward. It is now or never if they're going to save Loki from time slipping. And this gives us another great moment where Loki doesn't hesitate. Immediately, he's ready to prune himself before Obi explains that right now is not literally right now. It's in a little bit, like in an hour or maybe five minutes uh, as things escalate at the temporal loom. But Loki's lack of hesitation there, I think, does mean something. I think it is significant. I see it as a demonstration of his growth from the first season. Loki from, if you think about Loki from early in the first season, right after the Battle of New York, that's a version of Loki who would have been trying to figure out a way to talk his way out of the situation, or at least stall for more time. This Loki is ready to act, knowing full well the risks to himself and all that it entails. He needs to be around to help solve these issues. That means he needs to cure the time slipping, which means that he has to accept the risk of of spaghettification and also accept the risk of maybe being lost to time forever. But he's ready to go without a moment's hesitation to try and solve that problem. That was not his way in the Battle of New York. It eventually was his way when in a life he didn't get to live that he saw being lived when Thanos attacked in Avengers Infinity War and that version of Loki met his end. But now this Loki that we're seeing now, the one that we carry forward with in this in this story and future MCU stories, he has not only caught up to that Loki from Infinity War, I think you can make the argument that he's even surpassed the one that we knew in Infinity War as an even more evolved version of of this character and to speak and speaking to that this is a loki that go back to thor ragnarok and how hard it was for him to just have these emotionally intimate moments with his own brother here's loki he doesn't get to get the words out he time slips into the future before he can actually say it but before he goes through this before they go forward with this mission with the tremendous risk that's there for mobius and loki he does try to take a moment to tell mobius what Mobius means to Loki. And just the fact that he even tried to do that, these are all things that Loki is able to do, wanting to do, willing to do. These are all things that are evidence of his growth as a character 
throughout the course of the show. And as an additional testament to that, it all feels real. It all feels earned. It doesn't feel like this isn't Loki anymore. This is Loki now because we saw how he got here. And this is just a, a demonstration of the ways that he's grown. I thought all of that stuff was was really, really great. Yeah, I, I love this part for many different reasons. I thought the, the growth and deconstruction of Loki from the season one, I meant to say this last time in the last episode, it's just, and we've said it before in the, in the previous episodes we had before we reviewed season one initially, the deconstruction of Loki of season one is, is pretty brilliant. It really is. They do, it's not just done over, you know, one episode, which the main, the, the crux of it to the first episode, sure, because you have to establish everything, but it is, you kind of, you see the natural progression of that deconstruction of like, you still see him struggling with that throughout the season. And then you kind of believe him who he, he is a different Loki. This is the one Loki who is going to be different uh, by the end of that season. And this is a, that continuation of that in this season, uh, this episode one with him between him and Mobius. Cause even Mobius doesn't remember everything, you know, obviously between Loki and him that there's still this admiration for him and appreciation for him. You know, at that point, I mean, at this point, Loki could just do what almost like kind of go back to his evil ways in some respects at this point a little bit um, without, you know, obviously after he gets, you know, time slugged, whatever. Um, but I don't know. I it just it, like to your point, it, it was nice to see that this this progression of Loki kind of we've seen throughout this series and now continue and see that is this is the true Loki, right? And yeah. it's nice to see that. It's it's really cool to see that in retrospective with this. And also, I think this the fact that you have again Owen Wilson's character is Mobius. I love the whole skin thing. Was God? Yeah. It was hilarious. Him writing it into the dust oh on the monitor, God. which ends up being our visual cue that Loki travels into the time slips into the future. But right, yes, his preoccupation with that is fantastic. Yeah, and and again, it's it's done and it's hitting home that this is not just multiverse. This is a time thing, mm -hmm. and I like that they're they're marrying these two things together because again, that's a big thing for Kang. So the fact we're getting these two things is really really, and they're and they're they're preparing the general audience for I think what's to come with Kang in the future, and obviously with the main character with with um this new different version of Kang cuz we know what's coming and later is a different Kang in time as we know right i mean so there's lots of interesting things with this what we're going to be playing on and i and that's what i think what's going to be really cool about this is that if you look at the different you know multiverses in the comic books and whether it be marvel or dc that, it, that there's almost like different versions of those characters in different timelines. Like, right. Like there'll be a Steve Rogers in like, uh, the, uh, you know, the medieval times you could say, I mean like in some weird way. Right. So, mm -hmm. and that'd be the that version of captain America or whatever it, that version will be the captain. So, so yeah, just they're, they're introducing this whole idea a little bit in a very fun way. And I, I gotta tell you what the temporal loom looked phenomenal the visual effects in this show were second to none and i it really drove home to me that they really need to like keep the keep these looking as good as they have um you know i, I think for the most part like moon knight and everything looks pretty good um this does it was nice to see like this it looked like a the theatrical film yeah i think wise. loki got probably 
a little more money than maybe it some of the good. other ones did. Yeah. But I also think it's because it's Loki. I think it's because of the numbers that it probably did on Disney yeah. Plus in the first season. And I think that there's a, a certain standard I, I think that they want to meet. You certainly don't want season two to look like a downgrade from season one. But also they did a good job of picking their spots, right? There's a lot of stuff that maybe there are a lot of shots and a lot of sequences in here that are not going to be as VFX heavy, but everything looked pretty good. The time slipping with Loki, this whole sequence with the temporal loom, I thought it all just looked really great. And it was this a very compelling mission, individual mission within this uh, this episode, because when Mobius gets his marching orders and he gets his suit as Obi's letting him know, and he's preoccupied with the idea of losing his skin. But that also, I, I think if we're going to shout out Loki and his heroism, have to do the same thing for Mobius. Like, he's very clearly scared, but he's moving forward the entire time. He has a lot to worry about, and understandably so, but it's not stopping him from doing what he needs to do to save his friend and hopefully also in the process be saving not necessarily the TVA as an idea of as it was conceived by He Who Remains, but saving the people there and saving the people on countless other timelines that Mobius is doing his part, despite being absolutely terrified of what it might mean for him. And then uh, we also get uh, Hunter D90 shows up to let everyone know that General Dox is raiding the armory. So Hunter B15 takes off with D90 to take care of that. Obi then explains the timing of how all of this works, hands Loki a device, uh, which was before, of course, Loki time slipped in the future. There's a device that Loki has where green means go, but it won't last long, and it'll start once Mobius gets the temporal aura extractor into position. In the future, however, Loki dropped the times. It did not time slip with him into the future. In addition to seeing where Mobius wrote skin, we see that the blast doors are now closed. The temporal loom is in even worse shape, of course, than it was uh, when we saw it in the present. And Loki needs to be on the lookout for, needs to go try and find a time stick so he can prune himself as soon as the light goes green. But it's hard to do because the TVA is in complete chaos as Loki scrambles to find that time stick. Meanwhile, back in the present, or just in the present, Mobius is protected by duct tape, as was a, a moment from the trailers, but works really still works well in the episode, and it's funny. Uh, gets the extractor into position after promising Obi some hoofing like Obi's never seen before, and his reaction to it of, okay, and then just walks off was fantastic. Mobius succeeds in getting the temporal aura extractor into position. The light goes green, but Loki still doesn't have a time stick in the future and is then distracted by a phone ringing, and as he approaches, he sees some elevator doors being pried open. Meanwhile, in the present, Obi is counting down because he needs to close the blast doors. He gives Obi, uh, he gives Mobius and Loki 30 seconds. He does all that he can. He even double counts when he counts down to three. He says it at least twice that we see. But eventually, Obi does have to hit the button to close the blast doors. They've done all that they can, waited for as long as they could. But lo and Loki is going to be lost to time, and it looks like Mobius isn't going to make it back into the safety of the temporal loom, temporal loom control room either. Back to the future, the elevator doors are opened, revealing Sylvie, revealing Sylvie saying, there you are, to Loki, right before Loki is pruned and sent hurling back to the temporal loom in the present, crashing into Mobius on his way, sending both of them into the safety of that control room before the blast doors finally close, which tells Loki that they need to go find Sylvie, because they were on some mission together, it seems like, in the future, 
except Loki doesn't exactly know what that was because he just time slipped into it. Wasn't necessarily, uh, of course, there for the whole uh, for the whole mission. So we got to figure out what's going on with Sylvie. We get a different update on her that we'll talk about in the mid credit scene. And of course, everything, a new mission to go find Sylvie, which is also the mission that uh, General Docs and a bunch of Minutemen are, are on, a bunch of hunters are, are going on, as we see at the end of this episode. I like Hunter B-15 and D-90 reacting to uh, General Docs and just an army of hunters going through the time door with all kinds of weapon weaponry, reset charges, time six, everything that they need. And it just feels like, as B-15 and D-90 observe, that it has a lot more to do it has to do with a lot more than just finding Sylvie. So we don't know exactly what Docs is up to. We'll have to figure that out as we go along. But I thought this whole action sequence with the temporal aura extraction of Loki mm-hmm. was really something else, Paul. That yeah. moment of OB double counting on three is my favorite moment of the entire episode. I think it says so much about a character we just met because for so much of this episode... He was so matter-of-fact about everything. We noted all of the exposition, everything that he had to explain about the rules of time-slipping in the TVA and how to resolve the issue. But also, he was very dry and very blunt when he was explaining the horrifying risks of what was going to have to happen with this mission to solve the time-slipping issue. He was very dry about that. It's very, very funny, but also very, very matter-of-fact to the point where you, you could have assumed as a viewer that perhaps... Obi didn't necessarily care what happened. He just wanted to explain, here's how things work or here's how things might play out. And you could also assume that this is a guy who maybe doesn't necessarily form a lot of connections with individuals because maybe he feels isolated. I mean, he's literally isolated. He hardly ever talks to anyone. His last visitor was Mobius from 400 years ago, as he explains when we first meet him. But when he does, he appears focused on really understanding, and even in the initial reunion with Mobius, just kind of recaps exactly what happened, not necessarily a ton of feeling with it. So you just kind of wonder if he's just more focused on his work and understanding the mechanics of how the TVA works. But that's not at all. That's just not all there is to Obi. He doesn't remember, and it tells you, he doesn't remember that brief interaction with Mobius just because it was the last thing that happened. I think he remembers it because it probably meant something to him 400 years ago. And even if it's not just the result of some photographic memory, I think it meant something to him. But I also think that in this brief time that they've been together here and now, Mobius and Loki already mean something to OB. And what Loki and Mobius mean to each other matters to OB, so much so that he held out for as long as he possibly could with the TVA, the TVA, which is the thing that he has worked tirelessly with literally no sleep, as he explains, to keep it working, to keep it running for who knows how long he's actually been doing this. All of that was hanging in the balance, and he was still willing to count a few extra seconds to give Loki and Mobius as much time as he possibly could. Yes, it reached a point where he couldn't wait any longer, but he did wait longer than he said he was going to, and that speaks to the heroism of Obi, the connection of how he feels about these characters that he's just met, that he's barely barely interacted with, It's a really nice, I think, subtle, but still very meaningful hero moment. So as I said before, Obi, for me, the real MVP, and we are really blessed to have the incredible Kihoi Kwan in this role. His performance absolutely makes that moment. It's all over his face. Everything that he is focused on, everything that he is worrying about, everything that he's caring about in that moment, 
That's all the performance uh, in that hesitation from him in that moment. And it's just really something special, I think. Yeah, I, I think this is all again, it's not this is not an action packed, you know, you know, fina- or introduction to season, uh, you know, what episode one? It's emotional one. action. Yeah, exactly. It, it's tension. And I think that's the thing I liked about it the most. It was that do you had with, with the whole thing with, with him in the future and the phone ringing. Oh, oh so it was very interesting because I'm like, OK, what's going on? So you're building this tension of like, how's Loki and what's going to happen to Loki? You know, what's going on with again with OB, like counting down, like trying to delay it as much as he can. And just with the temporal loom going on, it was very, very cool. And how they're intercutting between the three different characters. I loved it. Um, again, it's a very interesting, different way of doing things. And I love I love the tension building. I, there's not enough of that, I think, in these shows, it feels like. And it definitely felt like it was a great use of, like, you know, your, your foreshadowing to an extent. Sylvie, uh, that was cool. So, yeah, I love this. Obi was a great character. I hope he's not gone. Oh, no, not not even close. I think Obi's here to stay throughout this second season. And I don't know. I feel like if you're if we're talking about a future of the TVA, who's better to be at the center of it than than Obi, along with Mobius? Like, I I think, I mean, who knows? Obi might have some hero sacrifice moment, but I I hope not. I mean, I'm sure it would be great if he does. But this is definitely a character I want to spend a lot more time with. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I'm. I'm all in. I think this, this was a great episode. Obviously, we have the. I think we have a pretty big ending here to talk about, or a mid credit scene. Um, but yeah, I, uh, otherwise everything else, yeah, I echo that. This is a fantastic start to season two. I'm really impressed, and I think this, hopefully this is not Secret Invasion, you know, part two. Uh, but we can get. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, based on the track record of the fair. first season, I, I think that uh, I, I have a lot of trust that this is going to continue building in a really strong and, and positive way. And I was look, I had high expectations already for this episode, but. Um, just based on the first season and how much I loved it. But I, I got to say that I was whatever expectations I had, and it is just one episode out of six, but whatever expectations I had as high as they were, this episode exceeded that. And I felt even even stronger and, and more positive coming off of this first episode than I, I did going into it. I really loved this episode and, and loved more that I, I want to make sure we continue talking about with the mid credit scene. But this main, you know, ending before the the mid-credit tag I thought was so strong I mean the as I mentioned the the hero moment for OB just the successful rescue of Loki from and and whether or not that really fixes the time slipping issue forever and for always we'll have to see Uh, hopefully it worked it's exact it played out similar to the way Obi said it would need to except for one key difference is Loki didn't actually prune himself how did he get pruned because even when he gets pruned it's not like he suddenly found out of frame a time stick. We see him raise both of his arms and his hands, and I don't see a time stick in either one. So did somebody else prune him from behind? Was it the temporal extractor that Obi built or the piece that fell off that Obi was one or that Mobius was wondering if it was important? Did something happen where it worked without Loki even having to prune himself? Or again, was somebody else there who pruned Loki? We'll have to wait and see how that plays out because we I'm sure we will revisit that scene when we get to that moment in the future in the TVA with Sylvie there and, and of course, Loki as well. So we'll probably discover exactly what happened there. But it wasn't necessarily the way 
that Obi explained it would need to happen. So that just creates more intrigue. And as I said, what's going on with General Docs? What is actually up with that character and Hunter X5? I mean, also, there's some relationship between those two characters that feels a little awkward, which Kate Dickey is definitely familiar with from her time on Game of Thrones. So I think that what exactly that is between those characters and, and what their mission, which Hunter B-15 totally clocks and, and is also wondering about, but also what exactly is this character up to? And that's where I think this episode does a great job. You solved the the A mission of what had to happen here and now, the most urgent thing that they had to fix. They've gone ahead and they carried out that mission. It seems successfully but there's a lot of other things now on to the next thing, finding Sylvie, uncovering what General Docs is up to, obviously the the ongoing threat of he who remains. Lots of things to go figure out and go lots of issues that still need to be resolved throughout the course of this season. But so a lot of things to continue watching for, but also we got one real, I felt as complete as it gets within an overall over, overarching serialized narrative to get a, a complete episodic adventure in this one simultaneously was uh, it's easier said than done. And I think they did it very, very well uh, in this episode. So let's talk about the mid credit sequence before we get out of here. We cut to Broxton, Oklahoma in 1982 in a branched timeline. And Sylvie uh, wanders into McDonald's, wants to know how it all works, list all the things that she doesn't want, but then decides what she really wants to try is everything. And this was a great mid-credit uh, mid scene because you know, we don't get, we just, besides this, we just got the cameo of Sylvie prying open the elevator doors, but just her wanting to try everything. Again, I, I talked about this with, uh, with Judge Gamble earlier on in the episode where Judge Gamble says, I can do anything. It's just now they have choice. They have at least what, as far as they know, and as far as Sylvie knows right now, as far as, far as she understands it, for the first time in her life, in her existence, she really feels like she has free will. Does she really? We'll have to see uh, as the story goes on. But she feels it right in here and now in this moment. So when you finally have options, when before you had none, you might as well try all of the options. Although the McDonald's menu in 1982, much more limited than it is today. But I still thought that was a great thing for her to want to try everything. Also, it was just a very sweet, nostalgic moment I certainly had some memories come back up of eating at McDonald's with my family or eating as a as a little kid and going whether it was with my parents or my grandparents who taking my brother and I for a happy meal or whatever. It's just a very sweet moment to see that when now that's not necessarily how a lot of us view going to McDonald's. But back then it was just this really sweet, nice thing. And so having that feeling uh, in this scene, I thought was really great. And I also just love the mention of Broxton, Oklahoma. Because Broxton, Oklahoma, in the comic books, that was where Earth, was, New Asgard, was located on Earth for a while, um, not uh, where we see it now in uh, in the MCU. So the fact that we have an Asgardian with Sylvie showing up here at this McDonald's in Broxton, Oklahoma, uh, a quick little nod to the significance of that town in Marvel Comics, I thought was also a really nice touch. I mean, I was never cool. upset that Broxton, Oklahoma wasn't the site of New Asgard in the MCU, but just a, a little tip of the cap to it in this scene. And, and probably I think we'll probably we might see Sylvie hanging out there for a little while. All of that I thought was really cool. So uh, a nice little button to this episode uh, with a, just a, a very sweet moment for Sylvie and, and a cool little comic book homage as well. Yeah, this was 
a really fun I, which by the way i i didn't know i totally forgot the name of the, the town of oklahoma of new asgard in the comics i knew it was oklahoma but i'd never know names no nah, forget it um i thought this was a really really cool and interesting uh mid credit scene because it does a lot of character development um or at least not development but maybe setting the stage of where sylvie's at as a character now um because one of the, the great things about uh sylvie in the last season is that again rewatching that episode is so critical i can't keep talking about it, but i'm so thankful i want rewatched it because when she kills he who remains she accomplishes her life mission. Yeah. So she comes into Oklahoma and is basically like, uh, let's say, uh, she's directionless. Basically she has no real purpose at, in her, at this time of her life driving her. She accomplished it. You know, she won the super bowl, Sean. And, you know, it's not like she can just keep going and like, oh, who's the next key who remains at her at this point in her life? And, and what she knows, there's there is no other yeah, key. Who she remains. fixed it. She did it. So now she's like, oh, O.S.H. I'm I've done it. And she walks in and has no idea what the hell to do, what how to do things. Sees people like having fun and enjoying themselves. Yep. And now. She can do it. Yeah. And that's why I think it's sees all the experiences that she didn't get to have. Exactly. And I love it because it's done in a way that people who are watching the show or are probably around our age range who can identify with that era of McDonald's. Totally. Which is a very weird thing to do. And how, you know, you know, you have the whole thing. Well, you could try out this or chicken nuggets. You know, I love that. Are you playing? And got these new chicken McNuggets. Oh, God. So delicious. Um, (laughs) And I I, got to stop. Not going to lie. Not gonna lie, I went and got chicken McNuggets after watching. Dude, so I messaging. I watched it for. I mean, I watched it Thursday night. So Friday for lunch, there were chicken McNuggets were had. It's so good. My wife or my 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 daughter always has nuggets, so she's yeah. I'm always resisting the and. But I love how it ends on. She says everything very quietly, and I just. I don't know. I, I think it's a it was a great way of showing. I think like the 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 next problem that she has is the fact that she doesn't have a direction right now. But maybe she loves that too. Yeah, and I, I love I love seeing all that rolled yeah. into. The I think she loves thing. it because what a direction is like, what a mission is is something yeah. that she feels her mission was something she felt compelled to do. She had to do it. There was no way for her because again, she couldn't just sit back and relax and live her life because if she ever did, the TVA would show up trying to kill her, right? Trying to prune her. So she spent her whole life on the run and the only way to be able to actually live her life was to find out the truth behind the TVA and whoever was behind it, she had to end them and therefore end the TVA and then end the pruning of timelines and all of those things. So that didn't even feel like a choice. That was survival. This is what she had to do in order to survive. And even when she was offered, the only time she maybe had another choice was at the end, right? Where he who remains felt said that it could be her and Loki running things with the TVA. So she wouldn't have to be on the run anymore. But even then her fate at that point, if she makes that choice is to subject 
countless an infinite amount of people to the same thing that she has been running from her entire life and fighting back against for her entire existence and she's been around for a long time she even talks about she's been at this mission since before loki the one that we know in the mcu has even existed so she's been at it for a very long time with this one mission that she had to do and the choice that he who remains wasn't off uh, was offering her at the end of the first season wasn't really much of a choice from her perspective. And so that's why she carried forward with the mission that she felt compelled to complete. And so even that wasn't necessarily free will because it's what she felt like she absolutely had to do. It was fulfilling that purpose. And so, yeah, now that she finally has this freedom for the first time ever, yeah, of course you want to try everything. But the point of this scene is not how delicious all the options are at McDonald's. That probably helped them financially. Maybe that's why the VFX looked good, as McDonald's was helping out financially with some of the show. Um, but uh, you could be cynical about all the product placement and the whatever. But I think that the creative point in where I think that the multiple things can be true at the same time, that yes, there can be a financial component to the product placement, where I think there's a genuine creative thing that's happening here and, and being achieved here is Sylvie just being able to embrace the simple joys in life and that that's ultimately what it's about is the the simplest joys are often the best ones the most meaningful ones and that's what she sees it's not about the food that the people are eating in McDonald's it's the fact that they're at McDonald's together and the time that they are spending with one another and having these real connections with one another which Sylvie did not get to have uh, as she talks about on Lamentus, just had whatever little brief moments at the end uh, before any number of Armageddons that she was camping out in um, to just keep herself going, but nothing real, nothing that lasted. And she's seeing that and embracing the fact that that can happen for her. So when she says she wants to try everything, she's not talking about the menu at McDonald's. I mean, they're going to show up with everything. I don't know how she's going to pay for it. I don't know if she's got cash or whatever. But the real thing is, the real point for Sylvie is she wants to try all of those simple joys that she's seeing um, and have all of those options. And just the joy of that freedom is what Sylvie's embracing in that moment. And it's a really beautiful, very, very sweet moment for her that I think was really important to do to give this character a, a very brief moment that still shows a lot of her perspective that I think goes a long way in, in even cementing why she did what she did in the first episode but also how much it's going to hurt when there's more work to be done. Because right now she's thinking that she's done it and it's all over. But now this, this new present that she has, uh, that she's achieved for herself, where all options are on the table, she's still going to have to fight for it. And so it's going to be that much more compelling when we see her being pulled into that, uh, which we know we inevitably will because we, we saw it uh, with her prying open those elevator doors. But yes, I thought this was such a great episode to start the second season. I'm really excited about next week's episode. I think it's going to be, uh, hopefully, it will be just as good as this one was. I, I I don't know if it was uh, the intention, but I mean, Kevin Feige has talked about wanting to make their shows more episodic. Maybe that was something they already had in mind, even with this being the second season of a show. And again, it's not something that Loki didn't do in the first season, it just didn't necessarily do in every episode, not necessarily in the uh, in the series premiere, but now they're really delivering on that front. Again, without doing it at the expense of, oh, now there's no overarching narrative that happens. Uh, no, there still is, and that still matters. 
Um, and, and all of that still really, I, I think, works out and still holds up very well. But also, most importantly, if we're just going to watch, if we're only going to be getting one episode a week, we want to have a really satisfying experience with that one episode. And I think the second season premiere totally did that. And so that is where we will go ahead and wrap up. As I said at the top, it was in no way, shape, or form a promise that we would go two hours, and we have not. So who knows? Maybe we're, after all these years and all these episodes, maybe we're even getting better at being brief. Don't hold us to that either, because for all I know, next week's show is going to go over two hours. But in any event, uh, make sure that you check out first impressions of episodes of Loki Season 2 via Fan Show Plus, available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber and on Apple Podcasts. In the same feed where you see this show, you just have to have the Fan Show Plus subscription to be able to access those episodes. And also there's more MCU news that is discussed on Fan Show Plus, uh, plenty of MCU news topics as things are starting to heat up, uh, as uh, things are starting to move again and we're starting to get more news. Uh, plenty more to discuss on Fan Show Plus as we're focusing on spoiler reviews of Loki Season 2 here on MCU Fan Show for the next several weeks. Make sure you're following us at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And uh, don't forget, if you haven't already, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help out, and it means a lot. So we really appreciate those of you who have taken the time to do it, and appreciate those of you who will take the time to uh, to leave your review on Apple Podcasts. Paul, where can everybody find you? You can find me on X, formerly Twitter. I love that new thing you just came up with. I love it. Um, on, oh, I, uh, I stole at, that. That's uh, that's where I'm seeing other people put it that way. So I, perfect, it's goddamn perfect. Um, anyway, you can find me on X, formerly Twitter at Herman Twenty Two with Two Ends, aka P Thug. Also, go over to the Comic Binge YouTube channel. Please go ahead and subscribe. Go leave some comments on some videos because I got lots and lots and lots of Marvel content. Uh, but just comic book content uh, overall. We just did an episode recently where we took. Um, we talked about the conclusion of this new Superman War World series, which is fantastic. And Sean, I'm meaning to tell you, you need to go check out the new uh, action comic Superman series. Gonna very, have very to. Good. Gonna have to because it's it's really good. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah, lots of great stuff there. I've been doing stuff for uh, Star Wars Newsnet. Uh, I've hosted a bunch. I've been hosting there every other week, along with my other long time and, and good friends from the Saga Continues, or I'm in that show as well. So lots of Star Wars content on that. Go check out those things and. Uh, appreciate everyone and uh we'll see you next week from my end and you can follow me on instagram threads and x formerly twitter at mr sean gerber so for paul i'm sean thanks for listening we'll see you next time